Well, good morning, Calvary. Uh, thank you, Jen. My name is Reese. I'm one of the pastors here. My wife, Larissa, and I, we, um, this is our third year now at Calvary, and it's been a real gift to be with you. Um, this morning, we're talking about adultery and lust. So if you're, if you're here new this morning, this is your first time here, uh, welcome. <laughs> this, is, this is what we talk about here. Um, so I'm going to read this text, and then we're going to dive right in. Open up your Bibles to Matthew 5, verses 27 to 30. Uh, there should be a slide with the passage right up there as well. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. God, as we um, tackle this fascinating passage, would we be reminded of your deep and great love for us? In our minds, would we never stray far from that truth? So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would make your presence felt in this room right now that any pit in our stomach that we might experience in this moment as we talk about adultery and lust, would you give us peace, wonderful counselor, great comforter. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Um, for a while, I met with a friend weekly at a coffee shop. We would get together on Wednesday mornings um, around 7.30 a.m., and we would just talk about everything. Like, it wasn't really surrounding a certain topic. We would talk about sports and music and our favorite flavor of this or that, donut or whatever, and we would just hang out. Um, and we both were both talkers. We loved to just go back and forth, talk, 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 about a number of different things. Um, but this morning, there wasn't a lot of talking. Um, I think it was a, around a year ago, and we sat together, and we just grieved. We were disturbed and sad. And so, our coffees were just sitting right in front of us, and we didn't really touch them much. They were just steaming. And One of our friends... Um, had just made a big mistake. They were unfaithful to their spouse. And we watched as this friend's life crumbled in the wake of this mistake. We watched as 
they became isolated. They turned in themselves, pushed people away, and went down a path that we were just so saddened by. And so there wasn't a lot of talking that morning, it was just a lot of grieving. And I imagine for you as well, this may be a part of your story in one way or another. I think we've, been all, we've all been a part of the grieving of the effect of adultery and lust in our world. It's the unfortunate reality we live in. It's ever present in the world that we see around us and also in our own lives as well. And so uh, we're in a particular portion in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount um, where Jesus makes it very clear as he has done throughout his sermon that this sin, it's not just an outward action, but it's about the heart. He moves it from behavior to your heart's condition. And so before, before we, we continue, I just wanna mention a few things. If this is a part of your story, adultery or lust in any sort of form, my prayer this morning is that you would be wrapped in the loving arms of Jesus. That's, that is who our God is, loving. That you would be grounded in that truth this morning. And, and hopefully together we lean in, and as we encounter Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, that we would recognize the gravity and severity of these sins that we would hold those things in tension. That Jesus, he loves us, but he also wants to eradicate sin from our lives. So here's, here's the roadmap this morning. Number one, we're gonna just exegete this passage, just analyze it, take a deeper look, walk through it verse by verse, um, and just talk a little bit about what we're dealing with. Um, number two, we're going to talk a little bit about what we're facing today. Um, talk about the huge challenges that, we, that are in front of us in this world that we live in today. And then number three, we're going to talk about how to fight it. How do we do this battle against adultery and lust and cultivate holiness in our lives? That's the plan this morning. So, first Jesus says, you shall not commit adultery. What is Jesus referring to here when he says, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery? The Ten Commandments. And in particular, the seventh one. And this would have been very familiar to all of Jesus' listeners. A lot, of, a lot of people would have memorized the Ten Commandments. And so, he says, you shall not commit adultery and people would have said, exactly, I know what Jesus is talking about. So adultery can be defined as uh, voluntary sex between a married person and someone who is not their spouse. This is an ancient problem that was being addressed. In the Old Testament, the sin of adultery, it was considered the serious offense because it attacked the, the marriage covenant that was supposed to be a reflection of God's covenant and relationship to us. So it was offensive to God. 
because he had set up this institution, marriage, to be a beautiful example of what his relationship to us should look like. And so to betray your spouse in favor of another person, it was offensive to God. So it grieves God. Everyone who, who's read the Bible in its entirety knows that covenant is important to God. And so we see a few examples of how uh, this sin of adultery wasn't just a sin on another person, but it was also a sin to God. Joseph, um, in the whole debacle with Potiphar's wife, he said that adultery was a sin against God. Um, King David, after his adultery, he said, against you, God, you only have I sinned. And so, in Jesus' time, the, the strict abiding by these Ten Commandments, it was enforced by the Pharisees, this group of religious leaders that Jesus was constantly butting heads with. And so when Jesus said, you have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, there were likely a lot of um, claps and amens and um, people knew it. This was a familiar ethic during this time. Then Jesus says something that most listeners would not have been familiar with. It might have caught them off guard. I can just imagine people looking at each other and, what, what's, what's he saying? He says this, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus takes this matter of behavior and makes it a matter of the heart. So lust, he uses that language. What is lust? It's a very strong sexual desire for someone. And why is lust a sin in God's eyes? It all comes back to something that Dave touched on last week, this idea of imago Dei, Latin phrase for image of God. Um, we believe as, as followers of Jesus that every single person is crafted and created in God's image and likeness, therefore giving them infinite value. And when we lust after another person, we begin to view that person not as the image and likeness of God, but as a means to satisfy our own sexual desires. We'll touch more on that a little bit later. And so when we, when we view someone as a, as simply as a means to satisfy our own desires, we are demeaning God's creation and dehumanizing another person. And that's anti-Jesus' kingdom. And so, back to Jesus, we notice this method of, Je- of teaching that Jesus uses throughout the Sermon on the Mount. He takes this familiar ethic and he makes it a matter of the heart. He takes it a step further. He's trying to communicate that life in his kingdom isn't just about having the right behavior. Some of us need to hear that this morning. It's not just about having the right behavior. It's about having the right heart. Um, I don't usually do this, but I've got a a prop, so hold on for a second. (laughs) 
Now, some of you are going to think Reese is totally going to fall off this thing. So don't take out your phones. Um, if you can imagine Jesus' you know, or the understanding of sin um, in Jesus' time as a ladder. Uh, most people would have believed that in order for something to be considered sin, you need to get to the top of the ladder. Sin's up here. And so um, you can take a number of steps up the ladder. For example, in the case of adultery and lust, the first step might be you've, in your mind, had lustful thoughts towards someone. And then you've got other steps. Maybe the next one is you begin to flirt with that person. But it's not a sin yet until you get to the top when the sin of adultery is actually committed. That was kind of the belief around Jesus' time. Jesus says, okay, look at this ladder, and no longer is sin something that is at the, just at the top of the ladder. He says, when you take that first step onto that ladder, that's when the sin begins. He takes it a step further. So it's no longer just something that you climb up towards. And as long as you don't get up to that tip top of the ladder, then you're okay. He says, no, 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 no. In order to be in my kingdom, you have to understand that sin starts down there. And so I want us to keep that in mind when we think about Jesus' teaching on, sermon, on the Sermon on the Mount. He, he does that with a lot of things. He did that with anger, too. It's not just the top of the ladder where the sin is. It's actually that first step, and I want us to remember that in our lives. He's saying that lust and adultery is a much more pervasive sin than we might realize. And there were people in the crowd who thought they never struggled with lust because they didn't commit the sin. But Jesus is saying that's not true. He's pointing out that sin in the heart is more dangerous than just the behavior. And so, what's Jesus' solution to the disease of adultery and lust? What does he have for his listeners? This is what he's got. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your whole body than for your whole body to go into hell. Um, it's worth pointing out here, in case anyone was wondering, that Jesus is exaggerating. It, that hasn't been so obvious to everyone in church history. There's a lot of um, one-eyed, one-handed saints. Bless their hearts. In, in, in church history, people took this very literally. I even had a suggestion this week of like, oh, you should make it a joke and keep a, a little table out front and say, hey, there's volunteers for whoever want to go out there and Jesus is exaggerating. He's kind of almost using humor. That's how extreme this is. He's egging them on a little bit. It's provocative. Um, but we can't let Jesus' exaggeration here distract us from the fact that he's communicating a clear message. He's saying that we must do everything 
possible to eradicate sin, this sin of adultery and lust from our lives. We have to go all out on this. Theologian R.T. France, he sums it up like this. He says, Jesus makes his point memorable by exaggeration. The self-mutilation is not to be taken literally, but indicates that the avoidance of temptation may involve drastic sacrifices, which may include the severing of relationships or the renunciation of favorite activities. The alternative is the loss of the whole body in Gehenna. So before modern medicine, um, if you had an infection, say you cut your foot on a rock or you got bit by a monkey, what would happen is you would probably have to make some drastic sacrifices, aka maybe removing that limb in order for that infection not to spread. In order to kill lust, Jesus urges his followers to take drastic measures. He is, he's not cutting corners on this. He is saying end that relationship. Stop that activity. Delete that app. Do whatever it takes. You've got to get this out of your life. Or the alternative is that your whole body will waste away in hell or the language Jesus is using is Gehenna. Dave talked about this last week. So uh, when Jesus says hell or Gehenna, he's using imagery and speaking about this burning garbage dump in the valley of Hinnom. Um, and people listening, they would have known exactly what he was talking about. And so that, that image was powerful to them. It says it's, it's better that you make a painful sacrifice in order to cut out lust from your life then lose your whole life in this burning garbage dump. And, and that's, I've seen this time and time again, that is exactly what happens when you let adultery and lust into your life. Your, your life is a wreck. And Jesus makes that clear. I've seen this with, even just in the last year, guys, countless friends who have allowed this to creep into their life, who haven't been held accountable, who had so much going for them. And I'm telling you, their lives have been destroyed, wrecked. You don't see it coming, but Jesus, the, the warning is so clear right here. Think of David and Bathsheba. David's trajectory was really encouraging in his life. Then he spots Bathsheba, commits adultery, and his trajectory from that point on, it's just a downward slope. His life is a wreck. Just read Psalm 51. Jesus, or sorry, David talks about his broken spirit. He's a wreck. His life is ruined. 
So this sacrifice, this life of sacrifice that Jesus is calling us to, it shouldn't be anything new to us as followers of Jesus. If we've read it, uh, the Gospels, we know this is something that Jesus calls us to time and time again. He says, pick up your cross. It can hurt. This is discipline. Jesus never says that this sacrifice or this discipline is the way to godliness. It's not really a standard he sets, but we see this time and time again in, in Jesus' followers, and I love what Charles Price says. This is, a, this is an important quote for us to understand. Discipline is not the cause of godliness, but is the means by which it is expressed. It's a fruit from abiding in Jesus. So, when we look at this text, I think we can all say it's a little intense. Amen? It can leave us a little bit shaken. Jesus uses some big language. He really didn't want his followers to miss the danger of adultery and lust. Okay, we're going to talk a little bit about what we're facing today in our world. How's everyone doing? Okay. Um, this literally happened yesterday. I went to a, um, a small local meat market that I go to um, to pick up chips, funnily enough, funny enough. Uh, and I go in there and I've gotten to know the guy who owns the place a little bit. And he's like, oh, so sorry, I, I, don't, have your, uh, I don't have your chips in. And um, I said, oh, no problem. Like, I'm not, I'm not too stressed about it. Inside, I was heartbroken. Um, and he said, that's, he said, that's something my, my wife would do, um, but she cheated on me. And he, said, he looks at me, he said, I got three little girls. Actually, it, it broke my heart. He said, I have three little girls, and they're destroyed. He said, I caught my wife having an affair. We run this business together. And he said, we're struggling. He says, I don't really know what to do. It was so hard to know what to say in that moment. But what I did know was, wow, how destructive is this sin? When Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, I have no doubt that the sin of adultery and lust was really prevalent in that day. I, I do think it's, um, it really is a sin that's as ancient as the, as the world itself. But we all have to admit that what we're facing today is something really unique. It is, this sin is manifesting itself in a way that's very complicated and difficult for us to confront. We find ourselves in a mess. We're in a crisis of sexual ethics in the world today. And here, here's what I don't mean by saying that we're in a crisis of sexual ethics. I don't mean that sex is the root of the problem. Sex is not bad. 
It's a beautiful gift from God. Someone is just fist pumping under the pew right now. (laughs) It was a gift given from God to those who dwelled in the garden with him. And we even look in the Bible, the Song of Solomon, it is a, a whole book on sexual intimacy and relationships. I don't know why in the past, in one way or another, the church has vilified sex. It's not bad. It's a gift from God. Um, I've heard it said this way, is sex bad? Well, is, is fire bad? Sex is like fire. Is fire bad? No. It just depends on where it is. If it's in the fireplace, it's great. If it's on the kitchen floor, it's not so great. It can be destructive. Sex in the context of, of this marriage covenant is one of the most stunning gifts that God has given us. Amen? So what do I mean when I say that we're in a crisis of sexual ethics in our world today? I mean that we as a culture have deified sex. We've made it a god We've deified sex to the detriment of people. Even in the most casual sexual relationships that I see some of the friends I have um, participating in on Tinder and such, I've heard story after story of people leaving confused, hurt, and broken because of what was meant to be meaningful and connecting ended up just being trivial. But because of this deification of sex, we now have a pornography epidemic. It's an epidemic, and we need to call it as such. I remember I was at a sleepover um, with a group of friends, and it was just a normal sleepover that I was used to with my group of friends. Uh, we were playing video games, we were goofing around, having snacks, and it was getting pretty late, and we were in just the basement of my friend's home, and uh, he brought out his computer, and he said, guys, I want to show you something. And what he showed us was, for me, the first pornographic images that I had ever seen. I was 12 years old, and that, that doesn't go away. Pornography, um, defined in the dictionary, it just, it's visual material containing explicit displays of sexual activity intem- intended to stimulate erotic rather than emotional feelings. The data is so clear. Pornography is destroying human lives. It's no longer a debate in our culture. So here are just some statistics from uh, an organization called Fight the New Drug. Most kids today are exposed to porn by age 13, many much younger. 84% of boys and 57% of girls aged 14 to 18 have viewed porn. One in three porn videos show sexual violence. Research shows that people who consume porn are less satisfied in their relationships less committed to their partner, and more accepting of cheating. Porn consumption in our world has led to increased loneliness and depression. 
Research shows that exploitation and trafficking are common experiences in the porn industry. Pornography is the third most common form of trafficking according to the National Human Trafficking Hotline. Whoa. This is why Jesus speaks so clearly about adultery and lust. The effects are calamitous on our society and goes against what we believe about people being imago Dei. It, it, this industry feeds into our modern day slavery. And it's not helping us, that whether in the church or outside, that, that we've stigmatized this conversation. We, we need to be having this conversation more often. We need to be having this conversation with kids. Or else the conversation will be dictated by someone else. And if you're here this morning and you're struggling with pornography, please know, please, please know that you are far from alone. You are far from alone. Speak to someone about it, please, that you trust. You can get out of it. I know for many people it seems hopeless, but you you can get out of it. And there's a life that's so much better on the other side of that consumption. So we're not just witnessing a crisis of sexual ethics in the world today, we're also witnessing a crisis of sorts um, in this way in the church too. Just a few things, We, we really have not got this conversation right in the church in the past. The focus has been more on dogmatics and purity rings and behavior than what's in the heart. And that's what Jesus was addressing. Second, the the church has been known for, over the last chunk of time, sex scandals more than sexual integrity. How many have we seen over the last few years? It's so heartbreaking. We've elevated the the wrong kind of people in our church culture, and we've suffered the consequences because of that. It's the celebrity culture, and it does not cultivate holiness. As the church, we need to have a clear, defined, Jesus-centered sexual ethic in the midst of a culture that has deified sex. So two things that we need to focus on. Number one is that sex is reserved for marriage between a man and a woman, and it should be celebrated in that context. Number two, acts of adultery and lust, they are in opposition to Jesus' kingdom. Adultery, it skews the marital relationship that's supposed to be a reflection of God's relationship and covenant to us, just like we said. And just like we, like I mentioned before, lust attacks the belief that every person is made in the image and likeness of God, and it destroys our lives as we pursue selfish desires. We need to fight for this sexual ethic, not, not just in Facebook rants, but in our own lives, in our personal lives and in our hearts. We need to fight for the flourishing of our marriages. We need to work hard on our marriages. We need to fight for those who have been victimized by those with lustful intent. 
That's a calling to justice. And this is a battle that Jesus is calling us to. So, what does this battle look like for us? How are we doing, church? I know, I know this is heavy, and this passage, it deals with a lot of these themes that can just have us feeling, oh, man, sad and, and heartbroken and maybe even fearful or a little bit anxious. What does this battle look like for us? Um, I've had a few conversations recently about neuroplasticity. Um, I'm not a psychology student by any means, but I found the, the topic really fascinating. It refers to the brain's ability to adapt and change in response to experience. And this is crucial um, in our understanding of addiction, for example. So an addict of any kind, their brain has adapted to respond and rely on a substance. And when you starve the brain of that substance, over time, the brain adapts to a degree in which it no longer craves that experience any longer. That's kind of the crash course on neuroplasticity. And so lust, for so many, it's an addiction. It's an addiction, whether that takes the form of pornography or something else. And for many, their brains have adapted to expect that daily experience. Craves it. But when the brain is starved of that experience, the brain changes. It no longer craves it. And so where does that journey start? How do we cut it out from our lives and help our minds adapt? Even just a couple biblical words on this. Paul, in 2 Corinthians, he says, taking every thought captive and making it obedient to Christ. That is a discipline that we need to have as followers of Jesus. When we have a thought, we take it captive. We make it obedient to Christ. We take care of it. And when we do that, Paul says in Romans, we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. This process of rewiring our brains in this way can be painful. This is not easy. Jesus does not promise that it's gonna be easy. And he, he, he exaggerates to make that example really clear. Pluck, plucking your eye out and cutting off your right hand, those aren't easy tasks, but it's necessary. This isn't a process, and it's not a battle that's meant to be done alone. How many of us have tried to kick a habit like this alone and failed. It's not meant to be done alone. So how do we fight this battle? First, we, we fight this battle in community, in relationship with other people. This is huge. Um, if you're sitting in this room right now and reflecting on your own struggle with lust, you need to ask yourself this question. Have I, uh, have I let people in on this? Have I told anyone about this? People that I trust, friends, family, it's not a, a battle that's meant to be fought alone. So in my life, once a month, um, I gather and hang out, spend time with um, seven other husbands who are in a similar uh, season to life to me, all newly married-ish. Um, and we just talk about all this stuff. We sit down, we catch up, 
We laugh, we hang out, but we also just talk about this stuff. Like, hey, are you, are you struggling with lust in your life? How is your marriage? How can we help keep you accountable? We pray for one another, we support one another. Um, it's not, it doesn't take much. And, and, and every time I spend time with these men, I come out feeling confident. I come out feeling equipped. I feel like I gain ground in this fight for holiness, in this fight against complacency, the fight against selfishness, and the fight against lust. I feel like I gain some ground when I do this with these guys. So, whether you're a man or a woman, call up a few people. It could just be two. Meet once a month. Talk about these things. A lot of us have friendships in our lives, but we never really penetrate that barrier of surface level conversation. Call up a few people and just say, hey, this is an idea I have. Let's get together once a month and let's talk about these things. That could be just what you need to gain ground in this battle. So second and most important, we fight this battle in relationship, in deep, rich relationship with Jesus. In and of ourselves, when it comes to this fight against adultery and lust, we're no match on our own strength. That is why being in deep relationship with Jesus is crucial, and that's what makes the gospel the gospel, the good news. Jesus says, abide in me, apart from me, you can do nothing. Paul, when in in prison, writes to the Philippians, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Through Jesus, our sins are forgiven. Through Jesus, we are given the strength to overcome the grip of sin in our lives. So if adultery and lust are present in your lives, I want you to ask yourself this question. How's your relationship with Jesus? How's your relationship with Jesus? Has it been a while since you've really connected with him? Are you relying on your own grit and your own hard work to get yourself out of it, to wriggle yourself out of this grip of sin? Or are you drawing from the endless, boundless power of Jesus Christ that is made available to us. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back on up as we conclude. Jesus, he makes it so clear in this text that adultery and lust are the destructive sins. We have to leave this morning knowing that. If we've been complacent about habits in our lives, We need to be reminded that there's destructive potential. He calls us to do whatever it takes to eradicate those sins from our lives. And I would, I would absolutely contend that each and every single one of us are in danger of having our lives wrecked by these sins. So are we doing what's necessary in our lives to steer clear? Are we living in community with others? Confessing our sins? 
abiding in Jesus, being in relationship with him. And in this message, in case there's any question in any mind in this room right now, Jesus is for you, not against you. He is for you. He is faithful to forgive us. His grace is lavished upon us. Jesus, he sees all the brokenness in our lives and loves us so much. He's the one who knows you best and loves you most. Don't stray far from that truth this morning. Let's pray. God, as we enter into our last time of worship, would we take a deep breath and would we breathe in this truth that we are loved by you And would we breathe out, would we exhale any sort of shame or weight that's on our lives when it comes to these sins? Help us, Holy Spirit, eradicate these sins from our lives. Help us, Holy Spirit, excel in our marriages. Help us be so clear about the sexual ethic that you're communicating, Jesus? Would we receive your grace this morning? Amen.